if we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery with its row upon row of simple white markers bearing crosses or stars of David. They add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. Nine minutes after 10 o'clock, we get hour number two underway. Thanks for being with us on this Friday, the 10th morning of the seventh month of the year of our Lord 2020. Mike DeWine is a liar. If you missed that headline, uh, I'll repeat it again. Mike DeWine is a liar. His entire administration and the Ohio Department of Health continue to ignore hospitalization and death rates and focus only on new infection cases and then are using that information to rip and strip away your freedoms. Summit County and Lorain County, the latest to be added to Code Red in the state of Ohio with exactly zero scientific or medical justification for doing so. Masks mandated in all public areas in those counties. Now at least nine counties strong and growing. Cuyahoga County is on the verge, he said yesterday, of going purple, in which case full lockdown is in effect. You may leave your homes only for essential survival supplies and services. This is is what's happening and this is what we must now fight and i mean at every single level including in the courts we need legal advice and the best thing to do when you need legal advice on this is to turn to an attorney peter now joins us on am 1420 the answer uh, peter is a cleveland attorney he that's not why he's on by the way he uh, wasn't able to join us on Tuesday for his regular Tuesday visit, so it's a great treat for you to have him on this Friday. But he is a Cleveland attorney. He is a member of the United States Commission on Civil Rights. He is a best-selling author, and he is a good friend of this radio program. Peter, good to have you. How are you, sir? You know, I'm not doing too bad. It's uh, uh, a nice summer day, <laughs> maybe a little bit too hot, 65 days into the opening of the NFL season in Cleveland. And again, you know, I may stop the countdown, Bob, uh, if we get any more indications that the NFL is going to go full woke. Because I'm, I, you know, NFL uh, football is my passion. You know, you and I both played it in high school and college. I um, watched it constantly. But you know what? Um, if they want to drive away fans, I'm willing to accommodate them. I'm not going to go along with any of the the bull that uh, I see on the horizon. Well, what, what, what would be your breaking point, Pete? Because to me, playing a second national anthem before each home opener is, is enough of a breaking point for me, as well as Roger Goodell announcing that he will support all players kneeling uh, in protest when the, play, the, national, the actual na- national anthem is played. Yeah, if they kneel. If they kneel, that's my breaking point. I can't take any kneeling. Sorry. Okay. Um, you know, we've got a bunch of millionaires, most of whom probably, uh, I'm not going to be pejorative, but we've got a bunch of, of millionaires out there who live in the greatest country in the world, and they're kneeling. 
Sorry, can't do it. Uh, what, what, you, what, what is your, what's your take on the Black Anthem? They're going to play uh, "Lift Every Voice" they, and sing. If they play, that's not that's not a breaking point for me. I prefer they not do it. We have one national anthem. We have one national anthem. Um, the uh, "Lift Every Voice and Sing" is a beautiful hymn. You know, that's that's nice. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is pandering to the nth degree by the NFL. Um, it's not going to win them any fans, that's for sure, and it's not going to mollify anybody if they think that they're going to keep the social justice warriors at bay because they are playing this. It's simply going to make them what they appear to be, just crass and opportunist and, frankly, very weak. They can't stand to the woke mob, so they're pandering to them. And in the meantime, they're throwing into the trash millions of faithful Americans and football fans. So, okay, Mr. Goodell, take your choice. If that's what you want to do, you've lost me, a fan, for six decades. Six decades. I hardly ever miss a game, um, at least on television, and I'm not going to be watching. And I've talked to so many people who've said the same thing. I won't mention any names, but some of them are former NFL coaches. Yeah, I I totally believe that, and and this is what they wanted. This is what they're going to you know they're going to reap what they sow. Uh, Peter Kirsten, I was with us on AM fourteen twenty. The answer, Peter. I want to pivot to this, and I know this wasn't what we were going to talk about race issues. We we're going to talk about the Biden uh, um, and uh, Sanders unity platform uh-huh. and what it's trying to do again along racial lines. But I, yesterday, um, it got personal for me when Ohio was, or excuse me, Lorraine County was launched into Ohio's ridiculous color code system in the red zone, uh, and now I am going to be forced if the governor has his way, to wear a mask in all public locations, including outdoors, um, and I'm simply not going to do it. Uh, and I'm encouraging thousands and thousands of other people within the sounds of my voice right now not to do it. And the question is going to be is when they come for us. And I don't know who they is going to be. Uh, you know, they, they don't have an enforcement arm identified. Uh, police and sheriffs all across the state have said, I'm not doing that. Uh, so, you know, this is a health department issue. If the Ohio Health Department wants to come and give me a fine or something, I guess if they can track me down, they can. But what we want to know is when they do come for us and we say, no, we're not paying and no, I'm not wearing a mask, what are our legal rights, Peter? Um, and you may not have looked into this, so I apologize for sandbagging you here. Um, I'll give you this to maybe just give you a head start. The 1851 Center for Constitutional Law says that this mask mandate is absolutely unconstitutional, saying that they cannot, the Department of Health cannot criminalize otherwise lawful conduct, like walking around without something strapped to your face. That's lawful conduct. They cannot criminalize it. They also can't do it in a non-uniform manner, and identifying counties that can and counties that can't certainly violates that. Uh, and uh, also, again, there's no enforcement mechanism. It designates no state or local agency to enforce the order. This failure to designate local enforcement agencies may be intentional. The governor wants all lawsuits to be filed against Ohio Department of Health alone, thus venued in Franklin County, where it is uh, more likely that they would win. So can you give us any legal perspective on that at all, Peter? Well, yeah. You're blindsiding me here, but let me. I know that's I, again. I just, this just happened, and and, and you know we hadn't yeah. talked about it. So if you if you don't have anything you want to say on the record, here, uh, I'm, I'm not a I'm not a I'm a I'm a, not a constitutional lawyer, but I play one on TV. But uh, no, I, <laughs> I at least skewer or at least swerve close to it on a regular basis, both on the Civil Rights Commission and when I teach law. Uh, just a couple of thoughts, without having looked at it. Um, yes, I sir. hear what the. I, I'm sorry. I. I don't, I'm not familiar with the agency that you cited, but I'm, I'm sure that they looked into 1851 Center for Constitutional Law is, is what they're okay. called, and uh, yeah, I'm looking um, into them, too. I, I think that, um, based on what I've, I've heard you say, that sounds correct. The first thing that I would go to is, number one, 
have to understand that the state, the governors, they have broad police powers. I think we've discussed this before. They're fairly, I mean, they're, they're really extraordinarily broad. They can do a lot of different things consistent with what has been allocated to them by the state's constitution and by the state legislature. The state legislature has a role there, though. And what the police powers can do are, are broad, but cons- uh, they're, they're circumscribed by the confines of the statute, statute and the Constitution, the state Constitution, as well as the federal Constitution. Um, having said that the police powers are broad, they must be exercised rationally. It's got to have a rational basis to it. In other words, it's got to be undergirded by evidence. And if, at least based on everything I've seen, I have been appalled by the lack of evidence from any governmental source, whether it's the federal government, the state government, you know, these various states' governments, we're getting conflicting evidence, conflicting instructions. Many of them are flat-out laughable, and many of us have been using our own brains and rationality to determine what's the appropriate course of action in the context of coronavirus to protect myself, you know, relatives and others. And it's difficult to discern. Uh, I rely on, for example, after having listened to a whole host of individuals on this, you know, from Fauci to uh, Cuomo to you name it, everybody in, in between, I've decided that Scott Atlas is probably the most reliable person because using my brain and rationality, what he says makes sense. And also, I've read enough about it to say that we are getting a load of horse dung from so many different sources. Not only is it conflicting, but it's on its face false. You can tell it's false by doing some additional research. For example, one of the things that's baffling to me is this supposed spike in cases. Frankly, Bob, I don't care about cases. Cases mean absolutely nothing to me. Many, if not most of the most recent quote-unquote cases are completely asymptomatic, and we have considerable evidence that it's almost impossible for asymptomatic individuals to transmit the virus. At least that's what I've heard from several medical sources that I've read and heard. Okay? At, the very least, at, at the very least, Pete, it's ambiguous. It is, it is completely uh, uh, up in the air because uh, there has been no definitive answer given. It was the same organization, the WHO and the CDC, the two organizations, that said uh, that uh, asymptomatic people are not are in fact uh, uh, can spread the disease very rarely, or are responsible for very rare in the, uh, uh, infections of other people. And then right. the same organization later on said, "Okay, maybe thirty to forty percent. We might have been wrong about that." So at the very least, it's ambiguous. It is not settled. Also, with respect to the definition of cases and uh, deaths and everything from the very beginning of the coronavirus pandemic, we have been getting just conflicting signals, and I'm putting that very charitably. Frankly, I think much of this is being manipulated as to precisely what the numbers are and where they're coming from. Cases, for example, include not just asymptomatic cases, but those where an individual may have been tested positive once, but then is repeatedly tested thereafter, and those are have been registered in many cases as new cases. New, new patients. Cases. New patients. Okay? Yeah, exactly. Exactly right. So the, the the impression given to the public is that, my goodness, coronavirus is all over the place. But in addition to that, it's who does it affect? We have locked down this country. I, I said to you, Bob, I think it was even in late March, that this will turn out to be the greatest 
peacetime public policy blunder in history. We have locked down the economy, thrown 40 million people minimum out of work. We, we have, in, you know, just about precipitated a depression that we're coming out of in a V fashion, thank, thank goodness. But we've done untold economic damage. And that's just, I'm not talking simply in sterile antiseptic terms here. I mean, there are real people who are hurting desperately because we are doing everything the wrong way. The working age population is yeah, everybody is vulnerable, but compared to the folks in nursing homes, people over the age of 70, the non-working age population, the working age population, frankly, is being affected in the same fashion maybe as the flu, maybe as the flu. I've seen data that show that mortality rates are even below an average flu season for anybody under the age of 65, and frankly, if you're under the age of 72. In addition, 40% plus of all deaths, and again, you know, no death is, is something to be discounted, but we're talking about the reaction that we've had from a public, public policy perspective. 40% plus of all deaths are from people in nursing homes. These are not people in the workforce, but we've locked down the workforce, locked down our schools, locked down virtually most of the country in response to something that we have conflicting data on, we've got inflated data on, and people are using as a political cudgel. This is, this is very, very bad. And I think that, and, and I'm going a little bit far afield from the whole mask controversy, but again, it goes to whether or not whatever orders that are being imposed on the state are rational. Not just are they within the scope of what the executive can do within, yeah. within his police powers, but are they rational? And we don't have anything to suggest that these broad mandates are rational and focused or tailored to the problem at hand. Very, very well said. And I know I did uh, sandbag you there, not intentionally, but you handled it like a pro as I knew you would. We'll get back to the issues that we are planning to talk about, including race relations in schools and what is being done um, that has been done in the past. And I'll explain that, and I'll let Peter explain that, uh, and the ramifications of it coming up on AM 1420 The Okay, 1025, we continue now with Peter Kersenow. Pete, um, so much to dive into here, um, and there's only five minutes left before the bottom of the hour, and I know you're going to come back for another segment, so let's kind of do a thin or a, a, a more uh, thumbnail sketch version of this here. I want to ask you your thoughts on the BREATHE Act that is being pushed and promoted by the squids, uh, particularly Ina Presley, uh, Jihad Omar, Sharia Tlaib, and... Uh, <laughs> Uh, and uh, who's the other one? Uh, who am I missing? Oh, uh, oh and uh, Alexandria Damasio-Cortez. Um, th- this is their bill uh, that they want to push. It hasn't been introduced yet as a, uh, you know, as, a, as a, a piece of legislation, but it is what they are publicly promoting and saying they're going with. Pete, it's more dangerous, in my view, than the Green New Deal, and that is saying something. It defunds the military, uh, literally, the military's D- Department of D- Defense budget. It eliminates our borders. It eliminates ICE. It eliminates policing. It eliminates jails and prisons and uh, uh, illegal alien detention centers, uh, it puts basically everybody in the honor system. Uh, and the problem with that is, of course, a lot of people covered by this have no honor. Uh, your thoughts? Need I say more? I mean, you just listed it. I mean, this is sheer <laughs> insanity. Um, by the way, kudos on the bumper music. Kudos to your producer. Um, that, I love the bumper music. But in any event, the Breathe Act is not going anywhere. Uh, but it can it tells you where they want to go, and Joe Biden has adopted most of the elements of the Breathe Act, and has gone even beyond that. Frankly, he's adopted a lot of other pieces of lunacy. 
We're in one of them. I think, Bob, one of the symptoms of coronavirus that hasn't been identified is insanity. We have had from our elected officials over the last several months, but mainly in June and so far in July, um, some of the most ridiculous proposals in the history of the United States. Um, And they're in serial fashion just gushing forth. The BREATHE Act, you know, as you've just indicated, no life sentences, retroactive expungement of criminal records, no prison, uh, permanently closing prisons, permanently closing prisons. So I don't know about the squad or the squids, as you've called them, but some of them should go to some prisons and just hang out for about five minutes and then ask yourself whether some of those folks should be out of prison. Uh, They're there for a reason. It is difficult to get into prison. It really is. You have to try to get into prison very hard. But they want to open up the prisons and defund the police at the same time in the midst of the greatest spike in homicides that we have seen in our lifetimes. In some cities, the spike is 450%. In places like New York and Chicago, we're looking at double-digit, 90% to 100% spikes in homicide rates, let alone shootings. It is a war zone, literally, in places um, on the south side of Chicago, but it's being replicated in most major cities throughout the United States, almost all of which have been run by Democrats for 50-plus years, exclusively by Democrats for 50-plus years, and that's before we start casting open the doors of prisons. That's before we defund the police completely. By the way, as you know, New York, in the midst of this just stupendous crime wave, had the, the intelligence to defund cops by, to the tune of nearly a billion dollars. L.A. is doing the same thing. I see Seattle just did that. Minneapolis voted to do it, but you know, it hasn't been put into effect yet. And there's other states where their brilliant city councils have decided, yes, in the middle of a great crime wave, the solution is get rid of the police. This is sheer lunacy. Yeah, I don't even know how to respond uh, to I want to throw stuff, one other thing in there. it's a gift to Donald Trump. One other thing, and you're right, by the way. I hope it is anyway. Uh, but but here's one of the other things they do, Pete, in this legislation, or would-be legislation. Uh, it uh, eliminates life sentences. Now, this, again, is being born of the, you know, the George Floyd situation and this massive movement right now for racial equality and racial justice and blah, blah, blah. Uh, and, and, and that's fine. It, that has nothing to do with the insanity of the legislation. But the point of this is, that my point is this, Remember Dylan Roof? Dylan yeah. Roof, the white supremacist who shot up the black church and killed nine people in Charleston, South Carolina, would be set free under this, at some point, under this, this legislation. The next Dylan Roof, the next, the next, you know, group of idiots who, who hunt down and stalk a, you know, a, a, a black man in, in some uh, redneck county and kill him would not be getting life in prison. And the people responsible for it would be, quote, Black Lives Matter. Somebody explained that to me. Yeah. Um, you know, Bob, we looked at almost all of the elements of the Squad's Breathe Act. It wasn't called that. In fact, it wasn't an act yet. Uh, 
about a year and a half ago at the Civil Rights Commission, and I wrote a dissent. The, you know, the, ma- the majority on the commission was liberal, and I wrote a dissent to it. And so if you want to see all of my comments, you can just go to the Civil Rights Commission website. It's very long. You'd I would do bore that. You to death. But nonetheless, among the things that they've been advocating, again, it, I think I've said before, if you want to know what the left has in store for us five years from now, come to a Civil Rights Commission meeting today because they try out their lunatic ideas at the Civil Rights Commission first. We get a preview, almost invariably. None of this stuff surprises me. Sometimes it's 10 years ahead of time. But, you know, they try it out at the Civil Rights Commission, and what you get is, among other things, they um, are advocating for the complete de-incarceration of women. Women can never be put in jail, according to these advocates. I'm being absolutely... No, I know you are, and I'm laughing. We're laughing I'm laughing, but it's, yeah, it's it's insane. Pete, hold that thought and finish it on the other side of the news, and then we'll talk about the Unity document and Obama-era school leniency for, quote, children of color. It's I know this is a sore subject with you. We'll get Kirsten out thoughts on that right after this. Ten thirty-six. We continue now on AM fourteen twenty. The answer. Peter Kirsten now joining us. We've uh, covered a lot of ground with Peter already. Uh, talked a lot about the legal standing of the state of Ohio. Governor Mike DeWine, the bespectacled buffoon that he is, trying to enforce an unconstitutional mandate based on erroneous fake news numbers of the spread and the danger of the Chinese coronavirus. We also talked, and ours continuing, we'll wrap this up now, as a matter of fact, on the BREATHE Act. And Pete, uh, you were in the middle of uh, talking about one of the aspects of the BREATHE Act uh, that would make it illegal to essentially, or make it uh, impermissible to imprison women for for virtually well, anything right did i hear that, that right that's not no that's not part of the breathe act that was oh, i'm sorry intended to be part of it as i said they tested that out at the civil rights commission a year oh, and got a half it, ago. got it but most of most of the rest of the breathe act they tested out the civil rights commission <laughs> but one of the things they wanted to do was have quotas for imprisonment based on race so that if the black population of uh, in a particular state was say 12 percent in that state you couldn't incarcerate more than 12 percent of uh black um prisoners uh regardless of whether or not you know the murder rate was higher in the black community or I- any other kind of crime it didn't matter you had to do that and they were doing the same thing as you know with respect to school discipline under the obama era uh guidance with respect to school discipline in addition women shouldn't be incarcerated for any reason and should be let out of jail those who've already been incarcerated and a whole host of other lunatic things the bottom line here, though, is you couldn't even get, I think, a grade schooler to come up with anything more lunatic than this. It's, it's incoherent. It doesn't make any sense. It's a recipe for death and chaos. It's not going to happen. But the danger is much of this is incorporated in the Biden agenda. I don't think it would, even, even if you were elected, I doubt it would be passed. But can you take the risk when you're seeing what's happening in Democrat-controlled areas like New York, Minneapolis, Seattle, where they're defunding police? This is real. And I think it's important for all of us to understand that the squad at least means this, and they are dictating the terms of the debate in the Democratic Party, as astonishing as that, as that may be. Biden has yielded almost completely to both the squad and Bernie Sanders, although they're almost in, indistinguishable. There's virtually nothing in this unity program of theirs that is something that Biden is, is unique to Biden. It's almost all from the squad and Bernie Sanders. So 
So this is what we're facing, and I think Americans, most Americans understand that this is completely lunatic and yeah. just uh, incomprehensibly dangerous. Nonetheless, well, um, the media is not reporting it as such. They're, they're making it seem as if this is something that is business as usual. Well, it was it was a given, Pete, that that Joe was going to have to adopt the far left uh, socialist policies that were promoted by Bernie Sanders because you saw what happened when Bernie Sanders dropped out. Uh, his supporters, the millennial know nothings, who uh, honestly believed that Venezuela would be a great place to live, uh, let's bring it here. Uh, they went crazy and said they would not support Joe Biden. They were so livid uh, that uh, the Sanders campaign was over. So in order to pull them in and to stop them from just staying home, Biden couldn't continue with anything resembling a centrist or moderate liberal platform, moderate progressive platform. He had to go full off the rails socialist in order to pull those people in to beat Donald Trump. So this is no surprise whatsoever uh, that their unity platform would be essentially be Bernie Sanders' uh, platform repackaged under the Biden name. Now, having said all of that, Pete, I want to get in more into it and the part that you you have talked to us about this before. When it comes to schools refusing to discipline students of color for fear of racial disproportionate racial um, or racially disproportionate numbers I guess of suspensions and detentions and so on and so forth you've been talking about this since Trayvon Martin and what led to his situation uh, you know that, that, that eventually ended up in his death um, now in this unity document this unity platform by Biden and Sanders they essentially are returning to that and encouraging uh, you know this this same sort of Obama era policy of leniency for for you know wrongs committed or rules broken or whatever unacceptable behavior by by black kids or or other children of color and I know this is something that's important to you so why don't you take that yeah um, and thanks for that I mean it is part of the unity platform and it's a corollary to their criminal justice if you want to call it back it's justice for criminals and nobody else more accurately yeah that is that they'll call it social justice reform but no right but they have imported the lunacy from the the criminal justice sphere into the school discipline sphere in 2014 the obama justice department education department issued a guidance I won't go through all the details. Again, I've got a very long dissent to the report of the Civil Rights Commission on this issue also. So if you want to see de- details and a lot of stats, you can uh, look there. But the details in the stats are kind of extraordinary, and frankly, they're not surprising. They fully uh, support what ordinary, sane people would expect. That is, when you impose quotas for discipline in schools, in other words, that you have to have a certain percentage of whites disciplined along with blacks and Hispanics, regardless of the offenses committed by these individuals, you're going to get individuals who commit bad acts who get off scot-free virtually. And that's what occurred during the Obama administration. If a school, for example, had 20% black um, students, but 60% of the disciplinary offenses were committed by blacks, nonetheless, you could not expel or suspend blacks at a greater percentage than 20%. Now, it wasn't a hard and fast rule, but you'd be subject to investigations by the Department of Education, which all schools want to avoid like the plague, if you didn't hew generally to these guidelines. 
And what happened was, you know, in the first year after the guidance was implemented, the number of violent assaults in schools across the country went up by 1,000 per day, not per month or per year, 1,000 more per day. The Obama administration came out, and the only thing you heard from them and their media sycophants was 130,000 fewer students were suspended in 2015, as if to make it seem that those suspensions would have been unjustified and that these Sterling students, Einstein's, every one of them, would have stayed in school and have contributed to the discourse within the school, which is a bunch of hogwash, as everyone knows. What they didn't tell you is that there were 160,000 more violent incidents in the schools. Nearly a million students indicated that they had missed one or more days of school out of fear of attending school. One million. Wow. That's extraordinary. We had teachers testify, one who testified in front of us had suffered brain damage from being beaten by a student. When people think of students, these aren't cute little, you know, seven-year-olds. We're talking about some of these guys are about the size of, you know, Khalil Mack. This is dangerous, stupid stuff. And who gets hurt? As always, it's like the same thing with respect to police practices where, you know, they defund the police or you engage in the Ferguson effect. Who gets hurt are those black students who want to learn or those poor students who are in schools who want to learn. But nonetheless, they are in class with disruptive students who know that they can act out with impunity because these guidances are out there protecting them. They can't be expelled. They can't be suspended. This is racist on steroids. When you are saying essentially that we don't think black and Hispanic students can adhere to behavioral norms in the same fashion as white and Asian students, that's fundamentally racist, and they need to be called well, out on Pete, that. But they don't. Pete, that, that is, I want to, I want to follow that. Um, Hundred percent right. It is extraordinarily racist to suggest that young children of color can't behave as well as whites uh, or non-minorities, non, uh, or the majority, I guess would be the best way to say it. Um, so I want to follow that with a story that I told on Prager yesterday, and maybe you saw this. There's a charter school in New Jersey called KIPP, uh, which stands for Knowledge is Power yeah, Program. with them. You saw this? Okay, you familiar with them? Are you I familiar didn't, with I'm the story? I'm not familiar with the story. I'm familiar with the program because I've dealt with them in the past. Uh, okay. I won't go to the details, but go ahead. Okay, here's the details. and Here's what I do want you to address, Pete, because I told this story yesterday. They have a longstanding motto at KIPP to promote positive uh, you know, results and positive interactions among their students. And their, their four-word motto was, work hard, be nice. Okay? That's been their mm-hmm. motto since their right. inception. They are now eliminating work hard, be nice, because it is racially insensitive, and it promotes systemic racism. The CEO of the charter school was that telling children working hard will lead to something positive is a belief in the, uh, in the uh, mythical meritocracy of this country. And being nice directs them to, and I'm totally paraphrasing now because I don't have the article in front of me as I did when I did it on Prager yesterday. But the, uh, the, the, the be nice part basically is telling children that, that they, they have to, um, what was the word? Um, 
Oh, I can't remember now, but it's basically follow the rules. Uh, and, and, and people shouldn't have to follow the rules. Children should be able to express themselves, uh, in the manner that they choose. So, so work hard, be nice is racist. And Pete, I, I read that in the same way you just described with this, with this, uh, you know, Unity, uh, uh, platform and, and the, and the children and behaving in schools. This is essentially saying that young black children or brown children or other racial minorities shouldn't be expected to work hard and be nice. They can't do that the way white kids can. Uh, and so we're going to eliminate that requirement of them, or at least even that model, because it might make them feel like they can't act like themselves. Now, again, that's a total paraphrase, Pete, because I didn't plan on talking about it, but you just struck that chord with me with the school story. Yeah, I I'm, I I heard about that. I didn't get a deep dive into it. I'm familiar with the KIPP Academies. I've been familiar with them for a long, long, long time. They've been doing great work, especially in the New York City area, graduating um, black and Hispanic kids from poor neighborhoods doing extraordinary things, but they held them to high standards. That was the key. That was the key. If anyone goes back and looks at what the KIPP Academies, um, uh, it's KIPP stands for Knowledge is Power Programs. Right. Um, but they had extraordinarily high standards and held everybody to the standards. They presumed that black and Hispanic kids could compete with anybody and could hew to high standards, and they did. You know, they, they had high expectations. The left corrupts everything it touches, and it is so sad to hear this. This racist presumption that qualities such as punctuality and excellence and precision and, you know, working hard are somehow white. What messages does that send to black and Hispanic kids? Exactly. Is, you know, you, we keep hearing for decades about this this phenomenon of acting white, another very pernicious um, a phrase, slogan, and phenomenon. Because all of these qualities are the qualities that ensure success, or at least lead to success, regardless of skin color or, or sex. And yet we are saying to black and Hispanic kids, no, no, no. Punctua- and and it's, by the way, it's being said to white kids, too, because it's a, it's a function of privilege, that no, right. you shouldn't adhere. We're lowering standards across the board, and it's becoming it's becoming dangerous at this point. We've got the FAA, for example, a few years ago, lowered their standards for air traffic controllers. I hope I'm not making anybody nervous, but check into this. They did that so they could bring in ostensibly they they thought they they would get more uh, black air traffic controllers by doing so. This is the kind of lunacy and insanity and corruption that we're talking about that's going to visit harmful consequences on society as a whole. It's permeated almost everything that, um, uh, almost every aspect of our society. It is the opposite of, of equal treatment. It is the most pernicious form of racism. And and we have to combat it every single chance we get. I agree, and, I, and I'll make one other analogy to this, uh, Pete. Um, and, and by the way, here's the language. I looked it up while you were speaking. The slogan, work hard, be nice, places value on being compliant and submissive. In other words, following the rules and doing what the authority figures tell you to do. That's what working hard and being nice means. So you can't, you don't have, you can't make these kids be compliant and submissive. And it, quote, supports the illusion of meritocracy and does not align with our vision of students being free to create the future that they want. So that, that's the actual language. And again, uh, here, here's my, my last analogy to this, Pete. Um, you know, we'll go with the, uh, uh, the school uh, uh, guidelines that you talked about to this situation. And what it reminds me of is the, um, 
voter identification. Every time a conservative says we need to have voter ID, we are told we're racists who are trying to um, take the vote away from African Americans who aren't capable of getting IDs. The idea, the, the suggestion that we are trying to uh, uh, suppress the vote of African Americans by saying you should have an ID is the most racist statement I think I can imagine. You can't be expected to get an, expected to get an ID. You're black. You can't be expected to work hard and be nice. You're black. You can't be expected to not break the rules in a school without being punished because you're black. It is the most, like you said, the most pernicious form of racism. Yeah, I agree with all of that, Bob. We've got to fight this. Parents have got to fight this. Employers have got to fight this. Every single one of us have got to fight this, among everything else, yeah. besides nope. everything else. It's un-American. Yeah. And it's it's ridiculous, is what it is, that we have to fight these battles, amongst the many others we have to deal with. One more short segment with Kirstenau after this. Okay, 10.55. I've only got about four minutes left with Peter Kirsten. Now, hey, Pete, since we don't have enough time to get into another subject or issue here, maybe you can help me promote Larry Elder's new movie, Uncle Pete. Oh, I mean Uncle Tom. Uncle uh, Pete. It, it, it could be Uncle Pete because you face the same things that so many people... It featured in Larry Elder's new movie, uh, Face. Uh, this movie, by the way, it shares three things in common. Uh, all the people in it, uh, and Peter Kirsten, I would be added to that. They're courageous, they have had a life-changing experience, and they're black American conservatives. They're the voices of the movie Uncle Tom, which you can see now at UncleTom.com. The story of hope and redemption. UncleTom.com saved 20% off the price of watching that movie with the promo code Cleveland. Go to UncleTom.com, use the promo code Cleveland. Pete, I jokingly say Uncle Pete because you are, I'm Sure, and you have faced it for a very long time, these same types of criticisms and uh, attacks on your race, called a race traitor, you're not down with the cause, you're not truly black. Um, I don't know if you've seen Larry's movie yet, but your thoughts on that? Yeah, uh, Larry was kind enough several months ago to send me uh, an advanced copy of the movie, and of course I watched it. Larry and I have been friends, by the way, for, well, I hate to say this, it ages me, but at least 40 (laughs) years. Uh, you know, he was over at Squire Sanders in Cleveland when um, I was at another law firm here in Cleveland, and uh, I mean, we've been friends ever since. Uh, kindred spirits, so to speak. Um, but it's a, it's a great movie. I commend it to everybody, and I don't say that casually. It's not just because Larry's a friend of mine. I think it's extremely important, regardless of race, because it's about Americana and Americanism, what it means to be an American, what it means to adhere to the ideals of Western civilization, which is under assault relentlessly and dangerously every single day from the left. I commend it highly. I won't go into all the details of it, but yeah. Um, I've been fortunate, Bob, that um, I haven't faced the kind of a program on a regular basis that many of the people who are depicted in the movie have faced. Uh, I'm sure behind my back people say things, and I don't care. You know, if you don't say something to my face, I don't care what you say behind my back. That tells me more about you than it says about me. But nonetheless, I know what it means to be an American. I know what's necessary to succeed. I know that in the United States of America, we're provided with untold bounty that's never been provided to any set of human beings in the history of the world. And if we work hard, we, we mind our P's and Q's, 
you too can prevail. Is life fair? No. Every once in a while, something's going to happen. Is, is the country perfect? No, it's not perfect. But perfect is not the same thing as great. And this is gr- a great country, not just great, but the greatest, as I say. I say it very often because it, it's important to say it because every single day we're being told, mainly from folks on the left in the media, but I repeat myself, that we are a flawed country, that we are racist, that we're irredeemable. And the opposite is true, and all of your listeners know it in their bones, and we have to fight back hard against this pernicious influence. This is reprehensible, that's what's happening. But what we're doing also is the harm that's being visited upon children who are being told that this is an awful country, that they can't achieve. In this country, you can achieve anything you want to. Okay, there are going to be a few you know, hiccups here and there, but you can achieve anything you want to and more readily than any other place in the history of the world if you just apply some of the precepts that the, re- the left is vigorously trying to scrub out of society, such as all the things that they claim is tantamount to acting white, being punctual, working hard, minding your P's and Q's. Peter Kersenow stated beautifully, I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for your great work, and thank you so much for your time. I'll talk to you again on Tuesday, right? Good weekend, Bob. You too, Pete. Thanks very much. Have a great weekend yourself. Thanks so much for being a part of the show today. Fight back. Do not wear the mask. If you're in one of those seven counties, you have rights, and you need to enforce them. We'll see you Monday. Bye-bye.